Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. Good morning, Liberty Communion. I want to welcome you. I want to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus. My name is Steve Huber. I'm the director of the Liberty Network of Churches, and we just got to celebrate yesterday. When you're watching this, we got to have Liberty Leadership Day, uh, New Life Glassboro kicked it with us. It was great to have you there. And leaders and pastors and elders and deacons and other servants in those churches from a bunch of churches came together for a day of fellowship, worship, equipping, teaching, and we had communion together. And can I just point this out that, and we should give thanks for this, in the past couple years, where many things in our society, many people in our society are pulling apart, we as a communion of churches pulled together. We actually, as a network of churches said, let's walk more closely together. Let's have our leaders walk more closely together. Uh, let's have our pastors and small groups for pastors. Let's continue to think of ways that we can partner in ministry together. We pulled together we pulled together and said, let's seek grace from God to be a communion of churches together. I'm really encouraged about it. And I actually want to say, too, that I miss you. I've been serving here at Covenant Church. By God's grace, that's been really fruitful. But I miss the chance to visit the, uh, each Liberty Church as often as I was able to before. So today is Liberty Sunday. And we're going to reflect on a lot of important things. And I, I just want to start by pointing this out. Did you know that there have been many times in history when people looked at Christianity and looked at the state of the church and their society and said, hey, it's over. Uh, this is going to go down. This is going to fade away. It's over. It, it, there have been times in history where it looked like Christianity had had its day, and it was just going to forever decline and maybe even disappear. Uh, the French philosopher Voltaire, uh, this was his view of the Bible, by the way. He said, the Bible, this is what fools have written, what imbeciles commend, what rogues teach, and young children are made to learn by heart. He wrote that in 1764. And he believed that, quote, we are living in the twilight of Christianity, and he predicted that 100 years from his death, the Bible will be a museum piece. This is actually what happened. 100 years after his death, the French Bible Society set up its headquarters in his house. And actually his old home in Paris and his printing presses, which had printed his books and philosophical works, were used to print Bibles. 
Other people have said that. Of course, we had the, the new atheists in the 2000s predicting that secular, secularism and a humanistic outlook on life will overtake religion and that all religions are bad. And some, some even said that Christ, Christianity was especially toxic. And we can think of people like, okay, the Beatles, John Lennon, in his famous interview in 1966 when he said that we're popular, more popular than Jesus now. He also said this, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right, and I will be proved right. That is not what happened. And actually, in the late 60s and early 70s, there was a movement in America and around different parts in the West called the Jesus Movement, where a lot of young people came to faith. A lot of people met the Lord Jesus. That's not what happened. Jesus' message was originally announced as good news, and it's still good news. Look at this passage from Mark 1. Mark 1, starting with verse 14. After John was arrested, Jesus came in the Galilee. So this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And gospel means good news. He said, repent and believe the good news. The kingdom is here. Jesus is here. The gospel and Jesus' message was originally announced as good news. And guess what? It's still good news. So four ways the gospel is still good news. And I, I want to argue that it's especially good news now in this cultural moment. The first way is this. The gospel gives us a better source of identity better source of identity. Uh, questions of identity are everywhere. How do you find out who you are? And in this cultural moment in the West, the answer to that question, how do you find out who you are? How do you find meaning? How do you find uh, purpose, identity? It's completely within yourself. It's within yourself. It's within I have a collection, a long collection of quotes, of follow your heart quotes, and it's everyone from Steve Jobs to Dave Grohl, uh, frontman of Foo Fighters, to country music stars, to sports stars, and this has become like an unquestioned orthodoxy. Some of you have heard me tell the story of going into Target and talking to my youngest daughter about this because Target was selling follow your heart t-shirts. Target wants to sell t-shirts, and they're thinking, hey, actually, what's an unquestioned truth? What's an unquestioned article of faith, an unquestioned orthodoxy that we can put on a shirt that people will, most people in America will uniformly say, that's all right. I believe in that. Follow your heart. And of course, look, this is the thing. There are good things in our hearts, and there are unique God planted desires in our hearts. And there's also dark desires within our hearts. Our hearts are, is the individual human heart able to create meaning for oneself? 
the philosophical way to talk about this is expressive individualism. And a philosopher, Charles Taylor, has written a lot about expressive individualism and just the, the cultural belief that each of us human beings has our own way of realizing our humanity. It's important for us to discover within and actually conformity or even help from a culture, from a norm, from a spirituality is thought of as, as being bad. Expressive individualism. What we need for deep, true life is to just express the desires within. And there's a freedom and a burden to this. And, okay, the, the freedom is in some ways attractive. Um, this was famous at the time. This is going back to 2014, which seems like a long time ago, but really wasn't when you think about it. But in 2014, Facebook introduced 58 different options for users to identify their gender, including gender, bi-gender, pan-gender, gender variant, two-spirit, and a custom option. And the message is clear, and there's a freedom in this, create yourself. But there's also a burden to it. And particularly, young people feel this burden. Feel the burden. They have to say what they're about, create themselves, and actually market themselves on social media. Could we have a little help, please? Uh, our culture is giving the message to people you're on your own to figure out yourself. And actually, uh, you don't belong to anyone but you. But here's the thing to not belonging to anyone but yourself. If you only belong to yourself, you actually belong to no one. What's the gospel give us? How's the gospel especially good news when it comes to identity? When the gospel... We actually have a good Lord and a good shepherd who calls us by name, who knows us. In John 1, uh, Jesus famously meets Nathaniel. He's actually never seen Nathaniel before. Philip brings Nathaniel, and Jesus only has to say, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What was happening under the fig tree? We don't know, but Nathaniel knew that it was omniscient knowledge. It was God had given Jesus that knowledge. Jesus knew. He saw Nathaniel before he even showed up. Listen to this passage from Colossians 3. And it's initially, you might think of this passage as just about thought life but it's actually just our, about our life. This is addressed to a church. And the Apostle Paul writes, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is a passage not just about our thought life, but about our deepest life. Our deepest life 
is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, what this means is there's an identity to discover and actually to receive from God. You don't have to create your identity, but in Christ, we're given an identity. And it's, it makes us part of something, and it's actually individual. We actually have an individual name given to us. It's, when a, it's a beautiful promise in the book of Revelation. Jesus, he's speaking to a church that's struggling. They've had some leaders killed. They're battling. And he, he, he promises that those who overcome, to the one who overcomes, I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone. <clears throat> that no one knows except the one who receives it. No one knows the name except God and you. It's an identity that's received. We're called by name. You don't belong to yourself, but you belong to the one who died for you and was raised for you. And that's where your life is hidden. The gospel's good news for identity. And the gospel is still good news. The second way the gospel is still good news, the gospel gives us a better purpose. The gospel is good news about purpose. Let's talk about the great resignation for, for a second. We had the great resignation. COVID made everyone work from home. Most people had to work at home. A lot of people had to work from home. Uh, everyone's job, a lot of jobs got more stressful some people couldn't work at all. But this huge phenomenon of the great resignation, the great resignation was about basically people had a chance to think about their work and the purpose of their work and what their work was doing to their life and their life balance. And a lot of people said, what am I doing? A lot of people took a chance to say, what is the treadmill I'm on? And is it worth being on? And is there purpose in this job? And how do I actually want to live? Now, there's a lot of things that go into that. But the search for purpose in work and the wrestling for purpose in our time here on earth is not new. I recently uh, saw this ad for an online therapy. And the character in the ad says this, I want a job I can be proud of. I want to fall in love. I do. I want someone to tell me exactly what to do. I want to be conf more confident, less scared. Sometimes I feel like I'm on an island. And everyone else are in these rowboats, and their lives are full rowing somewhere. And I don't have a boat, and I'm just stuck, forgotten. And the last line of the ad is, do you need someone better to talk to? Now, what's the heart cry there? The heart cry is, I'm alone, and it seems like everyone else is on a rowboat. I am purposeless. It seems like everyone else is going somewhere. I am stuck, and everyone else is someone else to talk to. What's the gospel? Okay, the gospel gives us purpose because in Christ, we are a work. Okay, we are the work that is the body of Christ, Individually, we are brought into this corporate thing that is God's workmanship. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the gospel means you are a work. Um, you are a child of God. You are a new creature in Christ. You are a work of his grace. You are not just created by him, but you've been redeemed by him. You're in a community, too, that is a work of God, and it's the place where gifts are discovered. And also, you have work to do. This is explicitly, there are works that God prepared beforehand for us to do that we should walk in them. There's stuff for us to do. And so this has implications for vocation and our job, but it's wider than just our job. It does mean being a helpful plumber to, to a helpful lawyer or being a helpful waitress. We can all say, and God's word does say, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It does mean whatever your work is, do it well and do it for the glory of God. And also it means as human beings, there's good deeds that are precious to God, important to God, and matter to God, are going to be unimaginably worth it forever. We'll never lose their beauty and worth and have mysterious reward in them, what we do for Jesus matters. A lot of our churches end with ascending, right? A final blessing. We're sent out into the world throughout the week to love people, bless people, to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus, to cry with people, to help people, to do deeds of love, to encourage people, to encourage one another. Our churches end with ascending because these good deeds matter to God. God sets us up. God gives us good stuff to do. I talked with someone recently who admitted, he was like, I was sneaking McDonald's. I didn't tell my wife that I was sneaking McDonald's, but this guy's sneaking McDonald's and saw that the manager in the drive-thru was discouraging uh, was discouraged and said to the guy on the spot, uh, hey, I'm just curious, uh, when's the last time that anyone told, thanked you, like just genuinely thanked you and said that they appreciated you? And the manager looked away and said, two years. And the guy that I talked to said, I just genuinely said, hey, uh, I really want to thank you. And I really appreciate you. And he drove away as the manager teared up. A small example, but it matters. It matters. We have been given good works in advance that God wants us to do. The gospel is good news for purpose. The gospel is still good news. Thirdly, the gospel gives us a better Lord. The gospel is good news for lordship. Okay, so there's been a lot of writing and discussion about how we're in a tribal moment in the world. We're in a world that's falling apart. Uh, we're in a world that's spinning. And in a world that's spinning, there are people auditioning to be your Lord. 
People saying, listen to me, follow me. And there's actually a hunger for a Lord. In a lot of ways, politics is becoming the new religion. In the, the beginning of the book of Isaiah, there's actually, the prophet is describing a future time which will be desolate and the world's going to be turned upside down and there's going to be all this destruction and ruin. And the prophet says, look, it's going to be so bad. A man will seize one of his brothers and say, quote, you have a cloak. You be our leader. You take charge of this heap of ruins. In a world that's spinning, people look for lords for stability. And what do lords do? Lords give answers. If you need simple answers and you would like to enjoy despising another group, there are online and TV news options for you, right? We can, we're off, you can uh, hook yourself up to an IV of rage from CNN to Fox. You know, you could pick your, your versions of that on the right. You could pick your versions of that on the left. And where the news used to be conformed to a limited amount of time, we now live in an endless 24-hour-a-day online and TV news cycle. Lords give answers. Panic sells. Lords also make promises. Lords make promises that are sometimes Messiah-like. That's actually not new. This is an ancient Mirian inscription. Um, the original Caesar, divine Augustus Caesar, had this as part of his calling card, and this is what's on the inscription. Divine Augustus Caesar, ruler of land and sea, the benefactor and savior of the whole world. Slight overreach. Uh, we have mixed desires about this. In, in one sense, we ask politicians to promise to deliver the moon and stars. In another sense, we're afraid of their power. We basically ask politicians to be like Pedro and Napoleon Dynamite. Remember Pedro and Napoleon Dynamite? He runs for class, presidents, uh, for class president, and his speech is simple. I will make all your dreams come true. In that whirlwind and mess, Jesus is a different Lord. He didn't seize power, but emptied himself of power. Uh, he didn't grab onto power and lordship, but actually emptied himself and became a servant. And because of that, Philippians 2, this was a, a saying and possibly a hymn in the ancient church. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of how Jesus humbled himself, because Jesus even became a servant, his name is being and will be lifted up above every other name. What, what would it... What must it have been like for the ancient church to live in a time where guys like, where Caesars claimed to be the savior of the whole earth, and yet to have this promise that Jesus is the ultimate Lord, 
and the name that will be lifted above all. He is actually the King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation 19. Uh, others have remarked on this. Okay, that would have been hard to imagine. But this is also true. Caesar and Nero are more popular names for man's best friend, for large dogs, than they are for people now. And actually, even now, even though his name is put down around the world, billions have prayed in his name and honored his name and lifted up his name, and his name will be lifted up. Uh, Jesus is Lord, and guess what? It's actually good news. And one way it's good news, in a time, being under bad government... While Paul himself is in prison, he actually writes to a church and says, don't be anxious about it in every, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything pray. While Paul himself is in prison under bad government, he says, actually, don't hook yourself up to a, you know, news that'll enrage you. He says, whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Because Jesus is Lord, we can experience peace now, enjoy peace now, taste peace now, practice peace now. And there's injustice. There, there are things we need to get to work on. There's injustice to fight. There are poor people to serve. There are ways to come alongside each other. There are things that we need to jump in. But this peace is offered. And this peace we're called to. The gospel gives us a better true Lord. The gospel's still good news. And lastly... The gospel gives us a better love. The gospel is good news because actually in the gospel, we have a love to base our life on. Uh, think about the apostle John. The apostle John could have had some amazing things on his business card. And me saying, hey, the gospel gives us a better love. Maybe that sounds overly sentimental to you. Maybe a little cheesy, but consider this. The Apostle John could have had some amazing things on his business card. He could have called himself, hey, I'm the disciple at Jesus' side at the Last Supper. He could have called himself, hey, I'm John, the disciple at the cross. He could have called himself, I'm John, the disciple entrusted to care for Jesus' mother. But how John refers to himself he only refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And this isn't a humble brag because uh, what's he saying? We know Jesus loved all his disciples. Jesus loves his people. And when John said, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved, is, it, is he not saying that's what defined him, that ruled him, that shaped him? And that's what we have in the gospel. In the gospel, we experience the love of Christ. 
we're, we're actually called to pray that we would know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. We're called uh, forever for the rest of our life to try to get our minds around how big Jesus is, how good he is, how deep his love is. And we're actually promised this, Romans 8. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gospel gives us a better love, a deeper love, a truer love to base our life on. The gospel is still good news. It's really, really good news. It's news that we need. It's news that we need to get deeper in our life, into our souls. The gospel gives us an identity, a purpose, a better Lord, and a deeper love to live out of. Could we pray that this would be in us deeper? deeper? Could we not pray, God, so work in us? Would you make your gospel a more deeply rooted in our souls? Would this good news shape us, fuel our hope, and empower our love and good deeds in this world. Liberty, let's pray for these things. Let's pursue these things. Let's be more marked by the gospel, which is still good news. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh. The odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.